Welcome to season two. This is Charlotte, creative and technical director here at Evidence for Faith. And just like in season one, we're going to be alternating Tuesdays and Fridays between two different series. So the first one is called Give Me a Reason to Believe, and that is a five-part quick introduction to apologetics and everything we do here at Evidence for Faith. So it's really going to give you the umbrella view of all the different areas that we studied to help see, uh, yes, God, what God says is true and God's word is true and you can trust it. The second series we're going to be doing on Fridays is called Keep the Fires Burning, and it is a study on the minor characters of the Bible. So every week you'll get to meet somebody new. So as always, this program is supported by donors just like you. If you'd like to help support this broadcast, you can donate at evidenceforfaith.org give or check out the links in the description to donate online. So here is Michael and the first episode of Give Me a Reason to Believe, Evidence Through Manuscripts. Hi, welcome to Evidence for Faith. It's your host, Michael Lane. So glad you're joining me today. We just recently finished a marine biology trip, the first one with Evidence for Faith, though I've been doing about these things for almost 40 years. But as we go down there and, and do these trips, we do Bible sessions also. This is a series of what I did for the people on the marine biology trip this past year. And it is a phenomenal city series. We got very good feedback on this. And so people are saying, oh, you got to put this on video. So that's why we're doing this. And what it's called is Give Me a Reason to Believe. And so we're going to see, we have a, a, a series of different lessons that we're going to show you here. The first one that you're going to see today is evidence through manuscripts. And I'll explain what that means in a second. But we're also going to be talking about um, evidence that the Bible is true by messianic prophecies, how Jesus fulfilled these prophecies. And if you want, take a look at on our website for there's a whole series of lessons called The Road to Emmaus, which goes into great detail on what we'll see on that lesson. But we're also going to talk about evidence for the resurrection. This is a logical approach to showing that the resurrection is true. We're also going to take a look at how the Bible has shown uh, through prophecy how different nations would come. Yet, every single thing happened exactly as the Bible said. And not only that, we're going to see also some uh, archaeological evidence having to do supporting the Bible. We're going to talk about then uh, also how science uh, is not contradicted um, with the Bible, that actually the, the few pieces of science that you find in the Bible is also um, found to be accurate today. As a matter of fact, we have a whole series on that about science in the Bible going through different subjects. But what I want to do on this series here, and on, particularly on this first one, there's so many people who say that the, you can't trust the Bible. The Bible is inaccurate. As a matter of fact, let me tell you a cute little story here that uh, happened one time. I was at a uh, university and I was talking with some university professors, um, some of which were history professors. And as we were standing there talking and just um, conversing back and forth about historical things, one of the comments that was made by one of the history professors is, um, well, you do realize that the Bible wasn't, uh, uh, it's not an, that ancient of a book. Yes, it's an ancient book, he said, yes, but it's not as old as everybody says. And someone in our group says, well, what do you mean by that? And he says, because the Bible was all handed down by oral tradition for centuries. And it wasn't until around 425 or so, 450 BC, that it was actually put down in written form. 
And one of the people who were standing there listening to this conversation said, really, I didn't know that. And he says, yeah, uh, well, why was it like that? Why? And um, this professor went on and said that the reason that it was never written down, that it was done by oral tradition was, are you ready? That the Hebrew nation was such a primitive people, they didn't have a written language until after the Babylonian captivity. After the time of Daniel, um, this would be like Nebuchadnezzar in that time period there, that's when the Hebrews finally developed uh, by their exposure to the Babylonians, how they were able to form a alphabet to fit their language. And that Ezra then wrote all these old traditions and stuff down, uh, the different books of the Bible, and thus he says that's how the Bible came to be. Now another person who was standing there in a conversation was like, really, I never heard any of that. He says, oh yes, it's documented. Another person saying, oh yes, this is very well known. I'm like, really? Um, and so I started asking some questions and <laughs> I tell you, I, it was amazing because I was talking about different manuscripts and, and different pieces of evidence that, that exist through archaeology that we have found showing that the Bible, uh, the Hebrew people did have a written language for a long period of time. But um, as we explored this, they were like, you know, the history professor in particular who was doing most of the talking was, I didn't know any of this. And it was fascinating how many people don't know, but it is something as these professors are talking about, that they teach at universities, and I'm talking major universities here, that they and skeptics of the Bible often say that the Old Testament, in particular the Old Testament, but the New Testament too, you can't trust. Because, uh, in particularly the Old Testament, it wasn't written down to around 425, 450 BC. It was done by oral tradition, simply because the Hebrew people, and this is what their main claim for this, that the Hebrew people did not have a written language until that time period because they were so primitive, just a bunch of garlic eating farmers and shepherds that they weren't sophisticated enough. And this is what is taught in many universities I have found out. And I've listened to different college professors and they all agree with this. Well, I wanna show you in this lesson how wrong they are. And I'm not, for me just saying it, that doesn't mean much. Let me show you the evidence, just a few pieces of evidence in this little video. Uh, that shows that the Hebrew people did have a written language that goes back to the time even of Moses and, and that these manuscripts and stuff that we see um, that we have today show and um, just keep giving us evidence and that the biblical accounts can be confirmed through archeology. span so the first one I want to talk about is actually a discovery that just happened just recently. Um, around December of 2019, a digging in uh, the Israel area in the West Bank by the city today it's called Nablus. Um, that is the uh, New Testament city of Sychar. That's where Jacob's well was in the Old Testament. Um, the woman at the well story, if you're familiar with John chapter 4, that's where this takes place. And there's two mountains that are right there with a valley in between. Um, one mountain on the uh, on the um, what would be the west side is Mount Gerizim, which the Samaritans or the place where they said that this is where you worship God, not in Jerusalem, but here. That's what the question that the woman at the well asked Jesus. On the opposite mountain across from the valley is Mount Ebal. Now, back in the 1970s, an archaeologist by the name of Adam Zertal discovered an altar on Mount Ebal, and it's called the Mount of Curses from a passage in Deuteronomy uh, chapter uh, 19, I believe it is, but um, that that mountain is the mountain of curses and Mount Gerizim is the Mount of Blessings. But Adam Zertal digging up there, they came across an altar that dates 
what he found out dating back all the way to Joshua. And we do know that according to Joshua, um, chapter 8, that um, Joshua is instructed to build an altar up there. Now remember, Joshua is a contemporary of Moses. So he was there through all the, the Exodus and stuff, and Moses was constantly being told by God to write things down. Well, Adam Zertal finds this altar in the 1970s, and they were sifting through the rubble and stuff like that. Lots of plaster, which is interesting because God told uh, Joshua to coat this altar in plaster and then write the law on it. And they found, Adam Zertal found all, all sorts of pieces of plaster all over the place up there um, where this altar sits. And they were just discarding things. And they found a little thing about one inch by one inch, actually two centimeters by two centimeters, small little flat thing. And they sort of like, ooh, that's a little amulet. But they didn't go into it. They didn't study it. They threw it in a dump pile. Well, that was in the 70s. Now, in 20, uh, right around December of 2019 and January of 2020, they were sifting through the junk pile, through the rubbish pile there, and they re-found this little amulet. And as this thing was being discovered, they found out that it's, um, it just looks like a small little piece of rock, but it's not. It's actually made of lead. It's lead that's been beaten, and then with like an iron tool, it was uh, inscribed with some writing on it. And um, they, it's so old, it can't be taken apart. It's, it's a piece of lead that was actually folded over, and that's how it has sat for centuries. So they took the lead and they studied the lead and they, they took the pieces of, of other parts from that rubbish pile and tried to get a date on it using all sorts of testing methods. And they did this in, um, in Prague where they tested a lot of things and uh, independent tests. These are not Christian based things. But what they did is they did a lot of testing on it and they found that this piece of um, this amulet, this little Mount Ebal curse amulet, as it's often called on the Google searches today, actually dates back to about 1400 to 1450 BC. That's the time of Moses and Joshua. But now, you can't open it. They knew what it was. Scholars all understood this is an amulet. It was a piece of lead beaten out, very, very thin. And then with an iron tool, they were able to inscribe words on there. And there's just a, a few words that you find on this thing. But what it has on here is remarkable because it's talking about curses, being um, following curses of God. If they don't follow the laws of God, it's a curse. It was a little amulet that was written dealing with what is described in Joshua chapter 8, verses 30 through 35. God tells them blessings that the Israel nation will have if they follow him, curses if they don't. And it talks about curses. It says cursed, 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 cursed of Yehovah, or Yahweh, if you will. But the thing is, even the name of God, which is spelt Y-H-W in our English translation, um, putting it into English letters, that's the name, the true name of God. And it actually appears on there twice in this little amulet. Now, how do they know that? Well, they took this little thing. Like I say, they can't open it. It would destroy it if they open it. So they wisely took it to some scholars and they did CT-like scans and uh, very similar to a medical CT, by scanning through different layers of it, they could see that there was letters in there and they could actually then, with the scans, um, make it that they could read what it actually says. And it has in there this writing, talking about this curse that we read about in Joshua chapter 8. And it's right there. 
The point is, now, you ready? This is what, so what's all this mean? This dates back to 1400 BC. That's the time of Joshua and Moses. Also, you have early Hebrew writing here showing without any doubt whatsoever, the Hebrew people definitely had a written language. Now, what are these modern professors teaching at universities? That the Hebrew people didn't have a language till what? 425 BC? This is 1400. This is a millennium before this. This is at the time of Moses. So when God is telling Moses in the, in the Torah and he's writing this stuff down, he's, God says, write this down. They were able to write stuff down. This is a remarkable uh, discovery that just happened. It was published in 20, um, 2022, just March of this year was this published. So it's just now getting out there into the news. But it's a phenomenal discovery because not only does it prove without a shadow of a doubt that the Hebrew people had a written language, but it also even has the name of God. And it's right, the, the context of this little amulet is right where it was, the event was taking place. It happens on Mount Ebal. So there's the first one I wanted to show you. Let's take a look at a second piece of evidence now, and it's called the Kaafa inscription. Now, this is a, another more recent discovery that, than uh, past ones. This is a recent one because this was discovered in just 2008, not that long ago. And it was found very close to the Valley of Elah. And it's a piece of, of pottery with writing on it. Now, uh, we've talked about this, and if you've listened to some other lessons of mine, Ancient pottery, everything was done with pottery. Cookware was done with pottery, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they just didn't put, you know, philodendrons in them and hang them on the, uh, the windowsill. Pottery was used for cooking. It was used for carrying water, et cetera. They had all different uses for it. Foods were put in it and stored in it. When pottery broke, the little pieces you just discard. Bigger pieces of broken pottery would be used as the original post-it notes. And not just post-it notes, that was what you would write letters on. You could do inventory. Stores and stuff would keep lists of things on broken pieces of pottery. So broken pottery, we call this, when it has writing on it, an ostracon. An ostracon, broken piece of pottery with writing on it, was found up on um, in the Kaafa area, which is right next to the Valley of Elah, right above the Valley of Elah. That's where David and Goliath had their famous battle. But there's a little village there. As they were excavating in 20, uh, 2008, 2008, they came across this broken piece of pottery. Now, this is pretty good size. This is uh, a good 15 uh, centimeters, uh, almost square, uh, in its little odd shape. But the thing is, there's different lines of writing on it. And what is written on here is absolutely amazing because it's describing an event. Some unknown person, we have no idea because they didn't put their name on it, but some unknown person wrote something that he obviously was witnessing and that he had seen in the news of the day and he put it on a piece of broken pottery and sent this to someone telling them about the event. Now, what it's talking about is describing an event where, and it mentions on here, how the people of Israel have been um, having judges as their rulers. No kings yet. They hadn't had a king. They've been having judges, which is exactly what the Bible says. The book of Judges names these different judges in this period uh, from after the time period of the, the conquest with Joshua till you get into 1 Samuel where we get the first king. So they had judges in between. 
many, many of these were very famous. Samson was a judge. Gideon was a judge. Samuel was a judge, etc. But the thing is, what this is describing is that is the nation of Israel no longer has a judge. We now have a king. Yes, and who's the first king? Was Saul. This is all described in the Bible in 1 Samuel chapter 9. Now, we can get an idea from the biblical chronological order of when this took place. This would have been around 1050 or so BC, give or take a few years. Around 1050 BC is when Saul, we believe, became king. Thus, this thing dates back. Now, remember, remember what the college professor said? Hebrew people didn't have a written language till 425 BC? This is 1050 BC. So again, here's a piece of evidence showing these college professors are not quite correct on this. And so this is actually describing here that we no longer have a judge, we have a king. That's a remarkable piece of history. And it just goes on to show some fabulous things that the Hebrew people definitely had a written language. Matter of fact, there are so many ostracons, so many pieces of ancient writing dating back to almost the time of Joshua to this day. It's, it's remarkable how many of these things have been found. Well, let's go to a third one. Um, a third piece of the evidence here is called, commonly called the Silver Scrolls. Now, this is a phenomenal discovery in itself, too. There were two Silver Scrolls that were discovered back in 1979. There was a dig going on just outside of the old city of Jerusalem. In the Himnon Valley, there were some burial graves, and um, archaeologists were studying these. And a little boy, uh, well, not too little, he was a middle school age boy, got in trouble on a dig that his family was helping with, and the lead archaeologist um, put him inside one of these tombs. Not, didn't seal him in, but gave him a job to do just to get him out of the way. And um, the boy knew he was being punished. He went into this thing, and he grabbed a hammer and brought it in there, and he started pounding on the floor because he was realized he was being punished for, for his misbehavior. Anyway, he was just hitting the floor, and all of a sudden, the floor gave way. Now, it was a tomb that they had pretty much already excavated. They couldn't find anything in it. But when the boy was hitting the floor, the floor collapsed, and he fell down into a mass of bones and pottery and stuff. And when the dust cleared, I mean, it's like an Indiana Jones, you know, the first movie thing. Oh my gosh, you know, all, all these skeletons everywhere. Well, he, that's what this boy experienced. And as they were cleaning this out, they found two little tiny pieces of silver that were curled up into little tiny scrolls. And these um, these little scrolls, um, at the time, they, they like, well, we can't unroll these very carefully or we'll destroy them. So they had to be very careful. It took a long time for these two scrolls made out of silver to be opened up so we can read them. But uh, as they, they, the way these were made is they took a piece of silver, two pieces of silver, and they just kept hammering it till they get them to, you know, like thick a foil, um, foil like that. And then with an iron tool, they can write on them and inscribe. But what was inscribed on there is amazing because it's, what is inscribed on these two scrolls was Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. It's often called the priestly prayer. Um, you can go to Numbers. Uh, most people uh, know this passage very well. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Uh, that passage is word for word, like what you would see in a New American Standard Bible. It is word for word what we see on these scrolls. The same thing. It has not been altered. Yet, this is written in Hebrew. But now, well, when did these did these, uh, were they made? 
What's the date on these things? Was it after 425? No. Evidence shows, all different types of evidence, and scholars all agree that these date back to a time around 700 BC. That's 300 years prior to what these college professors were teaching about as the Hebrew people got their language. And both these scrolls are on display in museums today, and you can see these at the Hebrew um, the Museum in Jerusalem, the Hebrew universe or Hebrew Museum. It's phenomenal to go take a look at these and and um, I have copies here showing what these things are. Uh, one is the original size, the other one's an enlargement, letting you see how what these look like and stuff. But again, these scrolls have biblical right. Do you understand that we have actual passage of scripture dating back to 700 BC? that it was on scrolls. Thus, because it was on scrolls, this is not just some little saying like a comic book. It was something, these little little phylactery boxes is probably what these were contained in. It was a very special passage to somebody who died, obviously, and they were kept in this. And so it was sacred scripture that dates back to that time. Or let's take a look at a fourth piece real quick. We have a thing that's called the Lachish letters. Now, there have been lots of these that have been discovered in the ancient city of Lachish. Most people don't even know, never even heard of Lachish. It is mentioned numerous times in the Bible. Um, it's to the west of Jerusalem. It was probably the most strongly fortified and powerful town in all of Judea um, during the Old Testament period particularly when the Hebrews had the land there during the period of the kings. Very powerful city. Um, the Assyrians under Sennacherib conquered the city and destroyed it. It was rebuilt a little bit. Then Nebuchadnezzar comes back around 587 BC and he destroys it some more. But the thing is, what they found there, and they're still excavating at this place. I love going there. It's a fascinating place. You can see Assyrian siege ramps that Sennacherib built going up to the city walls and how it was destroyed. And, um, but the thing is, what they found in here, among other things, they have made a lot of archaeological discoveries at Lachish, but these are, these are so special. It's a bunch of letters. Again, they're on ostracons. They're on broken pieces of pottery. As I said, those are the original letters and stuff. You break a piece of pottery. Mom, I broke, the, broke your pot. Oh, that's okay. I was running out of paper to write things on. And so um, maybe they didn't get spanked as much as we would today. But they would write letters and stuff on these things, and then they would send them out. And the thing is, they're personal letters. They have found some of these. And these were discovered, many of these Lachish letters were discovered by one archaeologist back in the 1930s, around 1935. There are all sorts of them. Some of them actually mentioned the name of Jeremiah. Yes, because remember, Nebuchadnezzar, who lived at the same time as Jeremiah, destroyed Judah, uh, destroyed Jerusalem and stuff. And he, Lachish was being rebuilt to a point after uh, the Assyrian Empire, because the next empire comes is the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar, and they destroyed it. And so a lot of these letters date back to that time period. And as I say, some of them actually have the name Jeremiah on it. And they also talk about the temple standing in Jerusalem. So what's the time period of this? And the thing is, it's all written in Hebrew, the time period for these letters. And there's dozens and dozens, scores of these letters, these ostracons that have been found here at Lachish, dates back to 587 or so BC. Again, that is way before Ezra and Daniel. So that's another great discovery, showing that the Hebrew people did have a, a written language, but it also gives evidence that there was a Jeremiah and that the temple was actually in Jerusalem. Let's go to a, a fifth one here, the Dead Sea Scrolls themselves. Probably the greatest archaeological discovery of the 20th century. Discovered in uh, the first ones were in around 1947 by two young uh, teenagers looking for a lost sheep. 
they came across a, a cave looking for a sheep. They threw a rock in the cave and they heard pottery breaking. They go up inside and they pull out or they, they go up in there. It's not a sheep they found. Uh, they're a lost sheep. But instead, they found these clay pots, many of them quite large, with scrolls in them. And that's what the rock hit and broke some of it. Now, they had no idea what they found. They just knew they were they were old scrolls. They took them back to the village, and there's a whole, I mean, you could write a book or make a movie about, I wish they would make a movie on this, about how these things hand, were handed from one group or one person to another till finally scholars got hold of them. Um, and right during the Israeli war, like in 48, they started to figure out what these things were. They actually took many of these and, and sold them people antique dealers because they didn't know what they were they just advertised them as ancient manuscripts and even put an ad in the wall street journal uh, i have a copy someplace around in my files here of a a page of the wall street journal uh from back in 1940s showing an advertisement that you can buy um, a dead sea scroll well today <laughs> they're priceless and they're all um they're trying to get them they're in jerusalem uh, israel's trying to get hold of these from private collectors and stuff but what they are are they were books written probably by the Essenes. Um, that's the, the period of time right around the time of Christ, John the Baptist and the, uh, the apostles and stuff. But the thing is, the scrolls themselves are the books of the Old Testament. And they have found every single copy of the books of the Old Testament, numerous copies of them, with the exception of the book of Esther. Esther has never been found, but they keep making discoveries in the Dead Sea area. And the Dead Sea Scrolls... Um, these are all different scrolls that have been hand copied and why they were put in storage jars and hidden caves, no one really knows. There's a lot of theories out there that they they did it for to preserve them for the future uh, or to keep them out of the Romans' hands or whatever. We don't know exactly. There's a lot of scholarly thought on that, but the point is they do exist and that they are very, very old. Um, I have one copy of one that I'm showing here, and this one here is just a copy of the Isaiah scroll. The original Isaiah scroll um, that they found was about 40 feet long, and it's written on animal skin. And I asked, because you can't own a copy of these in private collection because Israel wants them. But the thing is, what is written on these things, if you compare the writing on all of these Old Testament books to, say, like a New American Standard or an interlinear Bible, you're going to find out none of our doctrine has changed. It's basically the same thing. The, the difference might be in the spelling of names and places, but all of the doctrinal information found in all of our Old Testament books is sound with what we have in a modern New American Standard Bible today. That's an amazing thing. And the copy I had, because I wanted to get a copy of a section of it, because I can't get the whole thing. It's way too expensive. But I did ask for a copy of a uh, section of the book of Isaiah. And I chose Isaiah chapter 52 um, through 54 written here. And why did I pick this? This is a passage that, that talks about the suffering Messiah. Isaiah is telling us you will recognize Messiah, the Messiah when he comes because he will be a suffering Messiah. He will be scourged. He will be uh, um, dying for the sins of people. Um, he will be afflicted. It talks about the trial even that he will go through with the, uh, the Roman governor, though it doesn't mention his name, but it talks about going through all this. So now, do you catch what's really interesting here? You see, some people say that these Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah were all written after Jesus's life. And they say that's why they're so accurate. It's because they were written hundreds of years after Jesus. 
Well, and I've had scholars come up to me and tell me this, that well, the reason these New Te- uh, or the, the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah match so perfectly Jesus is because they were written after the time of Jesus' life. And I remember having a conversation with the scholar one time on this, and I said, have you ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? And he says, well, I've heard of them. I don't know really much about them. And I said, the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, are the books of the Old Testament with all these prophecies in them. But the thing is, they date to around 350 to about 150 B.C. They were all written before the time of Christ. You can find these things, and it's verified through many sources, that these things were all written before Christ. And the thing is, Christ fulfilled them all perfectly. That's an amazing discovery right there. That's why, for one reason, I just love these Dead Sea Scrolls and what they say, because they all give us total evidence and confirm that these prophecies were made before the time of Christ. So that's a great discovery right there. Let's look at another one. Um, A sixth example here, what's called the P52 manuscript. Now, this was discovered not that long ago either, but it's a piece of papyrus. This is a codex or a book. Um, The others were scrolls. These are books, a page from a book. Now, John, the Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John, died somewhere, we believe, between 110 and 120 AD. Depends somewhere in there, according to what uh, school you go to, but somewhere in there is when John the Apostle died. John the Apostle is credited with writing, of course, his Gospel and then other letters. But this P52 manuscript was discovered, and what it is, it's a page, a section of a page of one of the books of the Gospel of John. Specifically, it's written in Greek. Specifically, it is John chapter 18, verses 31 through 33. And you can read, if you read Greek, you can read this. It's exactly what we find in like a New American Standard, word for word. It's the same thing. It's, there's nothing different here. This is Christ standing before Pilate at the trial. Pilate and him having their discourse going back and forth. That's what the P52 manuscript is. And the thing is now, because it's a book, it's organic and stuff, we can test to see when it was, uh, was this piece of manuscript written. Was it written hundreds of years later after the time of Christ? No. All of the evidence shows this manuscript dates back to about 100 or so, give or take a few years, 100 A.D. Do you know what that means? The Apostle John is still alive when this piece of manuscript this papyrus was actually written on. Now, I'm not saying, no one's going to say that John actually wrote this one, but the point is, John was alive when somebody wrote this. He was still living. And it is exactly what we see in our Bible. Our Bible has not been compromised. Our Bible has not been changed. The Dead Sea Scrolls show that, evidence of that with the Old Testament, and these manuscripts that we see of the New Testament show the same thing. Let's go to another one. Uh, Our seventh one, real quick, as we take a look at this. It's called the P39 Manuscript. So papyrus number 39. This one is another amazing uh, section of a codex of a book of the book of John. Now, this one's a little older. This one dates around maybe 150 AD. Scholars uh, think this is is older than the P52. But... um, This one dates back to about 150 A.D. John is dead, but his disciples are alive. The thing is, his book's still being copied, just like they are still to this day. The Bible's still the best-selling book. The thing is, if you sit and read the Greek on this, what you're going to find out, this is John chapter 8. The 8th chapter of our book of John, this is what you're seeing inscribed here. 
And it's the same thing as what we have today in a New American Standard or in an interlinear Bible. It's the same wording. Thus, we don't have a change in doctrine. Our doctrine that we follow in our Bibles today is the same doctrine that was there back at the time of the Apostles. It's a phenomenal discovery showing again that the Bible is accurate. It's very accurate. Or let's take another look at another one here, uh, just quickly. Uh, number uh, number eight is going to be uh, what's called the P46 manuscript. Now, this is an amazing, amazing one. I have just one page of the numerous of the scores of pages of this document. Now, this this um, discovery was made, and it was not just one page. This one, entire books, it contains the P46 manuscripts, notice it's in plural, contains most of the writings of Paul and some of the other um, New Testament writers, all contained in an old book. Um, and the thing is, you can read this. I have what I'm showing right now. This is uh, the first chapter of the book to the Hebrews, so Hebrews chapter 1. And if you can read Greek or if you sit with an interlinear Bible, you're going to be amazed because it says the exact same thing. Why did I want this one page? Why was I so focused on getting this one page? I mean, if I could, out of the whole manuscript, I could have picked any page of the Bible. I love this one because Hebrews chapter 1, what this reads in the Greek um, is just phenomenal because it reads something like long ago, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he created the world. Um, and he is the, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God. I mean, that's what you're reading here. It's telling us this is one of the best descriptions you ever come across about who Jesus was, that he's the creator God, that he is the exact likeness of God. It's the actual Greek word here is character, talking about the character, the image. The, the It's the exact image. He is God is what this is saying. Totally God, yet he's man. And that's who he is. And that's why I love this page of this manuscript. Um, it, it is just a phenomenal discovery. Then it dates back to about 175 AD. And these books uh, have been divided into two sections. One section's in a museum in, in um, Israel, I'm sorry, in, um, in the state of Michigan at a university, they have one set, one half of these books. And the other half, I believe, is in London or something. But the thing is, this, this manuscripts, the P46 manuscripts, is a remarkable find because it shows that our New Testament has not been changed. Wow, this is so cool. Now, let's go to one more while we have a little bit of time here, and then we'll end on this one. This is called the Engedi Scroll. I don't have a copy of it, but it looks like a burnt piece of wood. <laughs> I mean, it really does. It's not very big. And it's like only maybe about uh, 18 centimeters or so long. It's not very, very long. Um, and it looks just like a burnt piece of wood, but it's not wood. It's actually a scroll. Now, back, this was found um, not that long ago in En Gedi, which is right where they're finding all the Dead Sea Scrolls. But as they were uh, in Israel, they were getting ready to plant some trees and do some new irrigation system. They were digging in the ground very close to the Dead Sea. They came across this beautiful stone mosaic floor. As they kept studying it, they found out it's a synagogue. 
a very intact synagogue. The whole floor is still intact. Over in one section of the synagogue was a closet area, which would have been like the Torah Ark, where they kept the books of the Bible of the Old Testament, because this is Jewish. And so they would keep these in here. And as they excavated out the rock and the sand, they came across this little log-looking thing. They realized this is a scroll. Now, this was discovered back, oh, I don't know, I believe it was in the 1970s um, when they found this. And very wisely, they didn't try and unroll it. They would have destroyed it. Instead, they put it into storage. And until the technology existed to be able to somehow study it. Well, just about five years ago, an article was published in Smithsonian Magazine all about the scroll. And by using certain type of photography, they were able to, to do layers of it because it's a rolled up scroll, and, which was burned, but they could still see even the lines and the individual letters. And they found out that this is a scroll. They had no idea what it was, but as they did these imaging, they were then able to put it all together and be able to read it. They show images in this in the Smithsonian Magazine. They show how this was and explain how all this was put together. It dates back to around 200 uh, AD. So it's a little bit after Christ. But the thing is, it's a book of the, it's a, a copy of the book of Leviticus. What is amazing is, now some people will say the Bible's been altered so much. Even the paragraph indentions are exactly what you find in a New American Standard Bible. It's that accurate. There's no changing of any doctrinal thing. Spellings of names and places a little different, but the thing is, it is accurate. And it shows us tremendous evidence that the Bible that we have today is the same Bible, the same wording as what we found in ancient times. Those who claim that the Bible's been altered or was handed down by oral tradition is not accurate. Boy, has that been blown out of the water because we have seen ancient scrolls being written and the Hebrew people definitely had a written language back at the time of Moses, which is exactly what the Bible says. And these scrolls that we have, even of the New Testament, show that our Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, is very accurate to what we have today. Folks, this is an amazing discovery. All of these things are just phenomenal. You want a reason to believe that the Bible is true? I give you the manuscripts. The manuscripts are remarkable showing and confirming that these things actually took place, what the Bible says took place, did, that they were written at that time. That is tremendous faith-building evidence for us today. I love the field of archaeology. I love going to Israel. We have a trip coming up in Israel, going to be taking place in January uh, of 2023. Um, it's starting to fill up, so please uh, register. Go to our website. You can register to come with us. And we have Dr. Stephen Notley, definitely one of the the greatest New Testament scholars alive today. He is coming with and, and uh, leading this thing. I'm just co-leading with him. But this guy is absolutely brilliant, and he will show you so much more. Come with us. We will show you all sorts of things, both Old Testament and New Testament. Come with us to Israel. But thank you so much for joining me. I hope you turn into the next lesson as we start to explore some more things about give me a reason to believe. So join us uh, on the next one as we get into some more stuff. Thank you so much for joining. And until we meet again, take care and God bless.
Thanks for tuning in, and thank you to our donors who make this program possible. Evidence for Faith is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry based in the USA. You can support this broadcast by donating online using the links in the description. And don't forget to leave us a comment, a review, likes, and shares to feed the algorithm and help others find this content. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.